Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Well, happy 4th of July. Happy Independence Day. I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, whether you're watching online or you're here, it's great to have you at the church. I hope you have some plans for today or tomorrow, whenever you celebrate, maybe with friends or family, or maybe just going to get some time by yourself. But uh, we truly do hope you have a great holiday and a great time celebrating. So if this is your first time here, we kicked off a new series last week called Everyday People. And in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at how God uses everyday people to accomplish his will and his purpose on this earth. And really what we're trying to do is we're trying to dispel that myth that God could only use the spiritually elite or God can only use the religious superstars, if you will, those with the right talents and gifts and abilities, uh, because that's what we believe. For some reason, over time, we've started looking at people who have done amazing things for God instead of looking at the God who is doing the amazing things through the people. So each week we're going to look at someone that God chose to use in an extraordinary way. And the person we're going to look at today, if you grew up in church or you grew up in Sunday school or ever maybe attended vacation Bible school, you've heard of this person. And the person we're going to look at today is David, King David in the scripture. And if you didn't grow up in church, or maybe this is your first time uh, in a church or, or watching online, you've come at a great time because we're really going to look at all of the ins and outs of King David's life. And we're going to see that he truly is an everyday person, an ordinary person that God just chose to do amazing things in his life. But now when you look on the surface and you look at, for example, David's resume, he had an impressive resume. He was a leader. He was a warrior. He was a general. He was a king. He was a poet. You know, he was a musician. He was an absolute legend. And that's why he's really become a superhero, if you will, in the Christian faith, almost worshiped, almost idolized because of the things that happened in and through his life. But as you dig through the scripture and you look at his life, he had issues, he had problems, he had difficulties. He truly was an everyday, ordinary person that God just selected and said, I'm going to do these things through your life. So when you look at the Old Testament, we're first introduced to David in a book called Samuel. There's 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And Samuel was a prophet of God. Now in the Old Testament, God would use prophets to speak to the people to talk to the people. Hey, I want you to tell the people this. I want you to instruct the people to do that. And he would do that through a prophet. So when we pick up the story of David, Samuel, the prophet, is being used by God to replace the king of Israel. The current king of Israel, the first king of Israel was King Saul. And God is removing Saul from power, and he's going to put someone else in Saul's place. And Samuel is the one that God is going to use to do that. So let me read you a little piece of Samuel just to kind of give you some background, just to set this up. 
1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 6. And if you want to follow along with the, the scripture passages or the learnings today, you can do that by downloading that Church Center app on your phone, or you can simply scan that QR code in front of you, and, and that'll take you to our notes. It also has a place on that QR code for you to download the Church Center app. Uh, but here's what 1 Samuel 16 says. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill the flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. So again, Saul's the first king. God's removing him. The second king is going to come from this guy Jesse's family. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. God instructs Samuel, take a heifer with you and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked, do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. And when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. So again, Samuel, God's working through Samuel. He's picking the next king of Israel. It's going to be one of Jesse's sons. Jesse is the father of David, the guy we're going to look at today. But Samuel sees one of Jesse's sons, and he just makes an assumption. Oh, this guy, Eliab, he's going to be the next king. That's the one that God is going to select. I don't know if he, he looked kingly or, you know, he had the right skill set or the right abilities or maybe the, the history, but he thought this is the guy that God is going to pick. Now, isn't that just so us? We see people and we think they should fit into a certain mold, Right? politicians. Oh, she looks political or he looks political. They look very political. They're a politician or they're a business person or they're a farmer or they're whatever. And that's kind of what Samuel's done. He's just assumed, okay, I know what King Saul looks like, the first king of Israel. So this guy's got to be who God is going to pick. But eventually God kind of speaks directly to Samuel about uh, the hollowness or the shallowness of his selection process and, and God says this to Samuel in 16.7. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Again, all Samuel was doing was looking at the outside and just making an assumption this is going to be the next king of Israel. Now, that phrase in, in 1 Samuel 16.7 I don't want you to miss that phrase, the Lord looks at the heart. What would God say today about our heart? I think it's a great question to, uh, for each of us to ask is, hey, what would God say about my heart? What does my heart look like? Because here's the truth, learning number one, God sees things in us that no one else can see. God looks at the heart. He, say, he sees the things we hide. He sees the secret things. He sees our goodness, but he also sees our sin. 
He sees our obedience, but he also sees our disobedience. He sees everything. He sees our innermost thoughts and desires that no one else can see. He sees the things that we wouldn't want anybody else to see. Why? Because he sees the heart. So he's telling Samuel, look, don't just look at the exterior. Don't just think about what you think a king should look like. I want you to look at the inside. I want you to focus on the inside. I don't want you to focus on the outside. So I I guarantee you from this point on, as Samuel is essentially interviewing each one of Jesse's sons to figure out which one God's going to say, yep, that's the one, that's the one that's going to be the next king. I'm sure he's not making any assumptions at all. So this process goes on and each one of Jesse's sons comes before Samuel, presents himself to Samuel. I don't know if it's kind of like an interview or what, but God doesn't say any of those sons are going to be the king. And Samuel's got to be confused. He's just done this seven times with each of Jesse's sons. He's got to be confused thinking, okay, God's falling asleep at the wheel. God's not paying attention. You know, do I need to go back through these again? Did I miss God saying this is the one? And he thinks and and he's confused. So he asked Jesse this question. Again, Jesse's the father of all these boys. 1 Samuel 16, 11. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down uh, to eat until he arrives. Now, again, we're, we're looking at how David was an everyday person that God used in amazing ways. And even David's dad, Jesse, sees David as an everyday, ordinary person, right? He doesn't even bring David with the other sons to be presented to Samuel because Jesse doesn't think, well, he's a shepherd, common job. He's not a king. He doesn't look like a king. He doesn't have the skill set to be a king. There's no way God would even select him. So I'm not even going to bring him with me. And I think we can all learn something from that. But let's look at verses 12 through 13. So, so Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. So here's the thing we can learn, and it's learning number two. When God calls you to do something, others will doubt your qualifications. David's own dad, Jesse, doubted his qualifications. It's one thing when God calls us to do something, whether we think it's significant or insignificant, a lot of times we doubt our own qualifications, but others will definitely doubt our qualifications. Nobody expected David to be the one that God anointed to be king. He was the least likely person in his family. He was probably the least likely person in that entire community. His skill set consisted of taking care of animals. Yet God anointed him to be the king of Israel. And not just the king of Israel, the king of God's very own people. That is an everyday person doing amazing things for God. 
Now, this first king, King Saul, he probably looked like a king. I think the scripture says he was a a head taller than everybody else. He, He probably fit the part very well, but God removed him as king. Why? Because his heart was not good. His heart wasn't good. Remember, God looks at the inside. He doesn't look at the outside. And when you think about the inside, isn't the inside a true reflection of who we are? No matter what's going on on the inside, that is a true reflection of who we are. Jesus said this to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, in Matthew 23, verse 28. Jesus said, people look at you and think you're saints. Again, they're looking at the outside, the dress and the way you act and the, and the rules you follow. But beneath the skin, you're total frauds. So whether it shows on the outside or not, what's inside of us is really who we are. We can put on a a happy face, a pretty face. We can pretend. We can get the outside looking all good. But the heart, God says, is a true reflection. It's like a mirror of who we truly are. And God said, Saul is not going to be the king anymore because his heart was all messed up. But David's heart, on the other hand, was not. And that's why God selected him to be the king of Israel. Listen to Acts 13, 22. After removing him, talking about Saul, God made David their king. This is what God said about him. I have found that David, son of Jesse, is the kind of man I like. A man who will do all I want him to do. If you look at the NIV, it says that David was a man after God's own heart. So, you know, reading that verse, and if we stopped here looking at the life of David, it, it'd be easy for us to come to the conclusion that, that David had incredible character, right? That he was flawless in every way. And I think that's why we've made him this biblical superhero and we've forgotten that he was an everyday person that God was working in and through. We're quick to assume, oh, well, he was a man after God's own heart. Then he had his act together. He, he, he was doing good things. But nothing could be further from the truth when you look at David's life. I mean, as you look in the scripture and you start to peel back the different layers of his life, it's obvious that David had some pretty dark areas in, in his life. And, and those things started to surface over time as he was the king. And there were some things in his life that were absolutely not pretty. You, you may not know this, but David had, had a son named Amnon. And Amnon raped David's daughter. David knew about it. He was aware of it, yet he didn't do anything about it. And this infuriated one of David's other sons, Absalom. So since David wasn't going to do anything about it, He uh, wanted to kind of avenge what happened to his sister, so he killed his brother Amnon. Nice, nice family, right? And and he was so mad. He was still so mad. Even after he killed Amnon, he tried to overthrow David's kingdom. The scripture says that David was fearful of his life, so there may have been an attempt on David's life by Absalom, but he was so furious that his dad didn't do anything about this transgression to his sister. You read more in the scripture about David. He had at least eight wives. He had tons of concubines and and midwives. He had an affair. 
He had a child in that affair. He tried to cover up that affair by murdering the, the lady's husband. And just think, you got in your car today or you tuned in online and you came to church and you thought you had a messed up family. This should make you feel better about the people that you have to hang around with today, right? Your family is not really all that bad when you look at David's family. This affair that he had, it was with a lady by the name of Bathsheba and they had a child together. And David was so freaked out and so fearful, he wanted to cover it up. She, he had her husband, Uriah, killed. And when you study Uriah, Uriah was like so loyal to David. Uriah was like his right-hand person, yet David slept with his wife, had a kid with his wife, and then put him to death. That's definitely not one of the aspects of David that we cover at Adventure Camp, right? <laughs> this year, we're going to do Adventure Fest for all the families one afternoon here at the church. But we don't talk about that in Sunday school class or in, or in group or, you know, with our kids at vacation Bible school. We learn what about David? He killed Goliath, right? That's what we learn about David. He was a king of Israel and he killed Goliath. He rescued the Israelites from the Philistines uh, and everybody lived happily ever after. Here, here's how this went down with David and Uriah. 2 Samuel eleven fifteen. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest. Then pull back so that he will be killed. That's a pretty ugly side of David's heart. When you read more about David, you learn that he had a desire to build a temple for God. And God said, no, you're not going to do it. You've killed too many people. Been too many wars, been too much bloodshed. I'm going to do it through your son, Solomon. Listen to 1 Chronicles 22, verses 7 through 10. This is David talking to his son. David said to Solomon, I wanted in the worst way to build a sanctuary to honor my God. But God prevented me, saying, you've killed too many people, fought too many wars, you're not the one to honor me by building a sanctuary. You've been responsible for too much killing, too much bloodshed. So let me ask you a question. Does that sound like a man after God's own heart? Does that sound like a person that has their act together in every way? Does that sound like a person who should be elevated to super Christian in so many church circles? No. No. Folks, David had hang-ups, he had faults, he had failures, just like us. David had sin in his life and he had weaknesses in, our life, uh, in his life, just like us. He struggled, he had baggage, he had ugly parts in his heart, just like us. And even though David had this reputation for being you know, strong and courageous, he was full of fear. His life was plagued by fear. He would lie to people and deceive people because he was fearful of them or fearful of what was going to happen to the people. As a matter of fact, you can read this in Psalm 56, verses 1 through 4. Uh, David says, Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. 
All day long, they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid, what can mere mortals do to me? So he'd go from this fearful state and then he'd turn back to God and he'd go back to fear again and he'd turn back, trust in God. The truth is, no matter what we've learned in the past, David is an everyday person doing amazing things for God. He made plenty of mistakes just like us. He had plenty of weaknesses just like us. But God still did amazing things in his life, even though he had problems and difficulty and sin in his life. And I think a lot of times we can relate most to David, and that's why David gets talked about a lot, is because all of us have done things we're not proud of. David wasn't proud of the things that he had done. We all have things in our life that we think of, and when we think of those things, it makes our stomach sick that we've done. David had the same thing. We've all done things that have broken the heart of God and disappointed God. And I think we really relate to David because David's sin a lot of times was driven by that fear. And a lot of times our sin and our irrationality and the decisions we make, it's driven by fear. Think about some of the fears that we have that cause us to make just crazy decisions, sinful decisions sometimes. We have the fear of failure. We have the fear of missing out on something. We have the fear of, of being liked and the fear of what other people think about us. The fear of, uh, you know, I don't know, not having enough. We, get, we just are full of fears and we let those fears drive our lives a lot of times. And here's the problem with that. And it's learning number three, fear can keep us from moving in the direction that God wants us to move. Again, when we're controlled by fear, a lot of times we miss the path that God wants us to take. I told you last week, there's a lot of times that I've allowed fear to control my life instead of trusting the Lord and the Lord's word and being dependent on him. So I think a great question is how did David keep his reputation despite all the dysfunction in his family? How did David keep his fame despite the sin in his life and the decisions that he made in his life? How is it that David gets talked about all the time? in churches all around the world. Probably every Sunday somewhere in a church around the world, they're talking about David. How is that? How did he maintain this? And I think it goes back to what God said. It was because of his heart, right? Even though David's behavior, his actions, what he was doing didn't always match what God wanted him to do or what God desired for him to do, it's obvious when you study his life his heart was good. Why was his heart good? Because he was very quick to acknowledge his faults. He was quick to embrace his weakness and his sin and turn his heart back to God. That's why God said he had a pure heart. God didn't say he had a, a perfect heart. He had a pure heart. Were there dark areas in his life? Evidently, yeah. Yeah. But God knew 
that David was truly repentant of his sins. When he would come to him and turn, God knew he was serious about it. I mean, think about it. So after this affair, one of his trusted advisors, Nathan, comes to him and confronts him about this affair with Bathsheba. David didn't deny it. He didn't deny his adultery. He didn't try to hide from it. He didn't blame it on somebody else. He didn't pretend like we do, oh, that didn't, that didn't happen or, or, or discount it. Here's how he responded. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 4. David said, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. And if you keep reading, David goes on and asks God for a clean heart. Listen, that's a consistent theme in David's life. He'd, he'd sin. Like us, he'd respond emotionally to situations. He'd let power and pride get into his head. He'd be tempted. He'd fall. He'd sin. He'd let fear control him and drive his decisions. But whenever he recognized it, he always repented. He would always beg God for forgiveness. So even though David wasn't perfect in any uh, stretch of the imagination, even though he was driven a lot of times by those things that scared him, it's obvious when you read the book of Psalms that he would ultimately acknowledge his sin. He'd always acknowledge his sin and he would always turn back to God. Even later in his life, he wrote this, Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. See, David didn't just simply acknowledge his faults and acknowledge his sin. He owned them. Right? It's easy for us to acknowledge our shortcomings and our faults and our sins. It's a whole different ballgame when we own those things. So I think we have to ask ourselves a question. What do I do when I come face to face with my sin? Right? I mean, Nathan brought that adultery right front and center to David. What do I do? How do I handle it when I come face to face with my own sin? Because David was quick to repent. He was quick to turn his heart back to God. Quick to admit when he was wrong and quick to acknowledge his shortcomings. And I think that's got to be the model for us. That's why God said he had a pure heart. So learning number four, we can't just acknowledge our sin. We have to own it. We can't just say, yeah, this is in my life. We've got to own it. We've got to turn our hearts back to God. We're good at acknowledging it, but the turning the heart back to God piece, sometimes we miss. Ultimately, that's what God cares about. He cares about the heart. That's why he looks on the inside. He wants hearts that are humble. 
He wants our hearts to be broken. He wants our hearts to be quick to acknowledge our sin and our heart to come back to him. He wants a heart that's truly his. I think one of our greatest problems is we don't like to admit our sin. Right? We like to call it something else. Oh, yeah, it was a mistake. I blew it. I struggled. Some of the words I've used today, a weakness, a fault, whatever. We don't like to acknowledge our sin. And because we don't acknowledge our sin, we don't see our need for a Savior. We don't want to accept the fact that we're sinful and that we need a Savior. But we do. And David recognized that. 1 Peter 5 Verses 6 and 7. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. So we have to acknowledge and we have to own our sin. Because I think the more we become experts at, at recognizing our sin and then repenting of our sin, the closer we're going to be to the Lord. God wants to be the center of our life. Jesus wants to be the center of our life. And when we keep him at the center, we're going to quickly know like David when we've gotten off path. And we can be quick to turn back to God. And you know what happens when Christ is the center of our life? We get peace. We don't deal with those fears and those anxieties like David had. When he got closer to the Lord, he'd be calm. Like that verse we read, oh, I don't have to worry about any of my enemies because of you. When Christ is a sinner, we get peace. We acknowledge our sin. We turn from it. We keep him front and center in our lives. You, you remember that verse Matt read? I think it was the second to last week of, of cloud nine, Philippians four, six, and seven. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. But then the second part of that verse, then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and mind as you live in Christ Jesus. That's what God wants, a humble heart, a heart that's quick to turn back to him, a heart that is his. And though David had a lot of issues, God was still able to do extraordinary things in his life because he had a pure heart. Think about it. He became the king of Israel. He united Israel. He rescued Jerusalem. In, in the Old Testament, and that's a whole conversation for another day, but he brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. He established Jerusalem as the city, the capital city of Israel, which still remains today. He conquered the Philistines by slaying Goliath. He did a lot of the groundwork before his death to build the temple for God. But he was just an everyday, ordinary person with struggles, sins, hang-ups, faults, fears, anxiety that God was able to use. And God was able to use him because he had a good heart. You know, we talked last week how God is just beyond our comprehension. But for some reason, he chooses to use us everyday people to accomplish his work. That way he gets all the credit. People see the things that happen in and through our life or even in and through our church and they're like, there's no way he could have done that or she could have done that or they could have done that. 
Only God could do that. And that's why he gets all the credit. Remember, we talked about how it's not about our life or our gifts or our abilities or our talents. It's about God's glory. He uses us, everyday people, to accomplish his will and purpose so that he gets all the glory. And if we'll be quick to turn our heart back to God, he'll use us to further his kingdom. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much just that we can read and we can learn about David's life. And Lord, even though we've elevated him in Christian circles as the superhero that you're the superhero that was doing the work in David, that he was an everyday person that struggled like we struggle. But because he kept his heart pure and his heart close to you, you were able to use him. Lord, that's what we want, is you to use us. Despite what we think about our abilities or what others say about our abilities, you say you can use us. Lord, help us to be quick to acknowledge when we head down the wrong path or we move in the wrong direction. Help us not to think that there's anything in our lives that we've done that we can't turn back to you. Maybe you're here today, you're watching as we're praying, and you've never turned your heart to God. You've never started a relationship with Jesus, who's the one that pays for our sins, because you thought something in your life would prevent that. You've done something too wrong or too bad or too embarrassing. Listen, God wants a relationship with us, no matter what we've done or where we've been. His desire is to have a relationship with us through Christ. Let me encourage you, don't put that off. Don't delay any longer. God, we truly are amazed what you've done in and through us, at this church, in and through our sister churches, through missionaries, through ordinary people, people in the workplace, people who love on their customers. Help us to keep our hearts pure. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Real quick as we finish up, on, if you didn't get a donut on the way out, or even if you did and you want another one, get a donut. Celebrate the 4th of July. Listen, they don't have calories. They don't have fat. They don't have sugar. It's amazing. I don't know how they even, even made them. But we truly do hope that you have a great Independence Day, uh, whether you celebrate today or tomorrow. Get outside, do something fun, and uh, make sure you come back and join us next week. God bless you guys. Uh, happy Fourth of July.